Good morning. You know, it was a few years back, uh, a group called Hidden Bridge Media asked me and some other ministers to participate in a project where we were to write a letter to our younger self. In other words, we were to go back to that first day of ministry and look at what we've learned over the years and write a letter to that young man that was just starting out. And I'd like to share with you a little bit of what I wrote in my letter to myself. I know you're excited. You'll soon feel a bit overwhelmed. Your life as a preacher of the gospel will be filled with triumphs and trials, delight and disappointment, joys and jeers. There will be times when you ask yourself, what have I gotten myself into? But there will be more times when you say to yourself, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. Through the peaks and the valleys, just remember who you are at your core. You are a child of God, a Christ follower. You will wear many hats. You will be a preacher, a writer, a therapist, a counselor, and an encourager. Outside of these responsibilities with the church, you will also take on the role of husband and father. But whatever hat you wear, never forget who you are at your core. You are a Christian, and everything you, redo, uh, you do relates back to that. Because of who you are at your core, nothing you do in your career is about you. Don't allow the work of the church to consume you. Give it your all, but don't let it take your all. Remember that you have a wife that needs a husband. You have children who need a dad. You have a home that needs spiritual leadership. Don't give everything to the church and the brethren and give your family what's left over. Remember your core. Glorify God in your marriage, in your parenting, and in your leadership within the home. So here I am, 18 years into this ministry gig. Here we are, 11 years into our relationship where I am your minister and you are the hostages held every Sunday having to listen to me. And as I look back over my time as a minister, not just with you, but over that 18-year period, if I were to sum it all up, if I were to describe it in one word, one word really comes to mind and stands out above all others, and it's this word, unbelievable. Unbelievable that I'm even a Christian, a child of God that gets to stand up and do this every Sunday. Unbelievable that I get to work with an amazing group of people and worship and serve alongside you. Unbelievable that I don't have to deal with the pettiness and the politics and the silliness that other ministers have to deal with in various churches. Unbelievable that people actually, some anyway, listen to what I have to say. If my life were to end tonight at midnight, it would be a fulfilled life. If I could live a thousand lives, I'd want to be a preacher in every single one of them. I have you to thank partially for that. The way you have treated me, the way that you have believed in me, it's been unbelievable. I was at uh, Red River, New Mexico not long ago, and we're sitting in there in the, in the condo, and all these other preacher friends of mine are in the same complex, and one of them, Keith Parker, comes over, and he sits down, and we're talking. He's got this thick Tennessee accent. He goes, so Chris, do you see yourself going to heaven from Abilene, Texas? And I said, I don't see why not. 
It's been unbelievable, folks, and I appreciate you so much for making it that way. But here's something else that I want to say to you, and I believe this with all my heart, and I want you to know that this isn't just smoke and mirrors. I'm not satisfied. I'm not. I want to keep raising the bar. I want to continue to grow. I've got a lot of growing to do. We all do. And I hope we all will continue to raise the bar, and I hope that we will all continue to strive for greatness in the sight of God. And like Paul, I press on to the, to the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So, as I was looking through Romans chapter 14 through 16 to decide what we're going to preach on this morning from that text, I, I came to Romans chapter 15. And as I read through verses 14 through about 21, I noticed something. I noticed that Paul was the ideal preacher for the ideal congregation. Notice verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. I mean, you think about how much good can be accomplished when the members are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to hold one another accountable. But you go back to the very beginning of this letter to the Romans, and you find out just how much Paul appreciated these brethren and how much he loved them. Notice verse 8 and following. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention to you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Were these perfect Christians making up a perfect church? Obviously not, and we can read about some of their issues as you go further into the letter. But Paul understood that their imperfection didn't disqualify them as saints. Their faith stood as a shining example. They were encouraged by him as he sought to encourage them. And then you notice verses 15 and 16 back in Romans 15. It reads, But I have written very boldly to you on some points as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable or may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul loved these Christians. But just because he loved them didn't mean that he stopped from telling them what they needed to hear. In fact, that's why he told them what they needed to hear, because he loved them. He wanted them to succeed. He wanted them to make it to heaven. And so he was bold enough and convicted enough, but also compassionate enough to tell them what they needed to hear. I don't know about you, but I see us in this. I see you and me in this, this Roman account. First of all, I thank God every day for you. I really do. Every day in my prayers, I thank God for Oldham Lane. I thank God for the members here at Oldham Lane. And everywhere I go... I have the opportunity to praise you. I get to speak in a lot of different places, and, and it seems like inevitably somebody will come up to me and say, so Chris, how's Oldham Lane? And I get the opportunity to brag on you like a, a, like a proud father, right? But then 
I'm encouraged by you. I love you and you love me. I encourage you, hopefully, but I know you encourage me. And hopefully some of me rubs off on you because certainly some of you rubs off on me. Like Paul, I try not to sugarcoat things. I try not to be politically correct for fear of offending anyone. I try to preach the love, uh, the truth in love because I think that's what you deserve. You don't truly love somebody if you're not willing to tell them the truth of God's word, but you do it lovingly and compassionately. Conviction plus compassion. But also, like Paul, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. That's what you are. You're not Jewish Christians, you're Gentiles. I'm preaching to Gentiles. And as much as I would love your favor, as much as I would love for you to pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing a great job, I serve one even higher than you. Above all else, I want to please God. And at the end of the day, if I please no one here but please God, that's all I'm really concerned about, and I think you're okay with that. So, this is us. I'm far from being Paul, and we're far from being perfect, but I see us in this. I think in, in many ways, we're looking in a mirror here when we look at Romans chapter 15 specifically. And we see Paul's feelings for the church in Rome. Those are my feelings towards you. I see a lot of similarities. Which brings me to a question. What type of preacher do you want? As I read through this chapter, I see a few things. But one thing that stands out is I see that Paul is exactly the preacher that they needed. In fact, throughout the New Testament, when Paul writes his letters, Paul is exactly the preacher that they needed. Now, he's not always the preacher that some wanted, but he was definitely the preacher that they all needed. So what type of preacher do you need? What type of preacher do you want? I read a... uh, story recently about a church in Colorado, true story, a church in Colorado that is seeking a preacher who will preach other preacher's sermons. Here's an excerpt from the job posting. They write, here is our concept. If a worship leader can take a song from Chris Tomlin and play it just like the album that is a a hundred percent exerted in the church, why can't you as a pastor copy or do word for word of a sermon from Craig Rochelle? Sure, add 10% of your own style to it, just like the the band does. This concept would work great mixed with your own sermons about 20% of the time. You don't want that type of preacher. You may think you do, but you don't. You don't want the type of preacher that asks you for a $54 million airplane. You noticed that recently? Televangelist Jesse Duplantis is on TV asking his congregation to donate uh, $1,500 He wants 1,000 people to donate $1,500 a piece so that he can buy a $54 million airplane. Apparently, one day he was sitting around and God spoke to him and said, Jesse, do you want to come up here? And he said, God, what do you mean? And he said, I want you to believe in me for a Falcon 7X jet. And so now, Jesse Duplantis is asking his congregation to foot the bill for a $54 million airplane. You don't want a preacher who begs you for money so that he can buy a $54 million airplane, do you? Do you? Because, I mean, we can can discuss it if you do. I didn't think you did, but we can discuss it if you want to. It's not about appearances so much. 
It's not about ripped, skinny jeans or a faux hawk or, you know, telling stories or being a comedian or anything like that. It's about the message, isn't it? It's about getting the message across. It's about substance. It's about the heart. It's about recognizing that it's not about the preacher. It's about God using the preacher. And here's what I think every church should want in a preacher. It's definitely what every church needs in a preacher. And here's the list. One who accurately handles the word of God. One who is bold and convicted. One who preaches the truth in love. One who preaches the whole counsel of God. And one who lives out what he preaches. Now you might could add some other things to the list. But these things have to be there. These have to be included in the makeup of your preacher. And if you disagree, I would disagree with you because these are all biblical. Now, whether he preaches more expository or more topical, whether he uses more stories and illustrations, those are all secondary things and those are style things. But at the end of the day, these things have to be on the list, don't they? When it comes to being the preacher that you need, these things have to be there. But I would say that there are some other things that are secondary that I would like to add to the list that I think maybe you want, but you certainly need. And so when we're putting together the right preacher or the type of preacher that you need, here's a few other things that I think need to be added to the list. And the first thing is this. Preach one thing. I think any preacher worth his salt at the end of the day preaches one thing. You ever seen the movie City Slickers? Many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago now, Billy Crystal plays this guy named Mitch who's going through a midlife crisis, and so he and some buddies go, and they, they go out in the open range and drive cattle thinking that they will find themselves. And there's a scene in the movie where Billy Crystal is riding on a horse, and he's talking with Jack Palance, who is the gristled old cowboy, and, and Mitch is seeking wisdom from this cowboy, and they're riding along on horseback, and Curly looks at Mitch, and he says, you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, what? And Curly does this. And Mitch goes, your finger? And he says, no, one thing. Just one thing. And Mitch says, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly says, well, that's what you've got to figure out. Paul had it figured out. The one thing was preach the gospel. And a preacher can preach a lot of things, and he should preach on a variety of topics, especially ones that are biblical, right? But at the end of the day, he should be about one thing. Look at Romans 15, 20 and 21 again. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul had a singular focus. Yes, there were times when he had to deal with problems that sort of maybe could have gotten him sidetracked. But at the end of the day, he always came back to that one thing. Jesus, the gospel. He had a one-track heart. His life post-conversion was about one thing. It was about the gospel of Jesus. Many years ago, there was a guy named Michael Hart who wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential people of all time. And in his book, he had this list of the top 100 influential people of all time, and he used different criteria like you know, movements that they started, the impact they made on society. And as you can imagine, it was quite a controversial list. I mean, how are you going to include you know, the, the, 
everybody's opinion on who the most influential is. But of the top 15, three came from the Bible. And sitting at number six of the most influential people of all time, he put the Apostle Paul. Now, for us, that's a no-brainer. We know about Paul's influence. We can read about it. We can see it in Scripture. Paul was perhaps the greatest missionary of all time, a bulwark of the faith. He wrote a bulk of the New Testament. His conversion story is one that scholars point to as clear-cut evidence as to the power of Christ and the gospel and Christianity. Paul used his story, and he used it in an incredible way to tell others about the gospel. Look at verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul's conversion story was the best sermon he had in his holster. He could pull that out at any time and be able to say, look, this is what I was before. This is what I am now. You guys know my story. You know that I didn't grow up in the church. I would have loved to. I would have preferred to grow up in a home where mom and dad loved each other and dad was an elder and a spiritual leader and all those kind of things, but that's not what my story is. And so I take my story and I use it to the best of my ability to preach that one thing. That's what Paul did. But his story and my story and your story is only a smaller story of the bigger narrative which is that God sent His only begotten Son to this earth to die a cruel death on a cruel cross and to rise three days later, right? I think you want a preacher who is willing to preach on a variety of topics, but at the end of the day, you should want a preacher who preaches on one thing above all else, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because like my good friend Steve Clower has said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the faith that unites God's people, it is the power that changes God's people, and the story that forms God's people. But secondly, I think you want a preacher that preaches one thing, but I also think you want a preacher who preaches to the Mondays. Imagine that you have a man who is dying of thirst. If he doesn't get water soon, he is going to die. And he encounters a man who has plenty of water. And he begs and he pleads with this man to just give him a drink. And the man who has the water says, well, now let's consider this liquid that is water. You know, it is colorless. And if you heat it to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, it becomes a vapor. But if you lower the temperature to 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it becomes a solid. Two parts hydrogen to one part oxygen. Thus, it is known as H2O. And after a moment, if you're that dying man, you're going to say, Look, I don't care about your sermon on water. Just give me a drink, right? Quit talking about it and do something about my need. And I think that's the kind of preacher you want. I don't think you want a preacher that lectures you on the properties of water. I think you want a preacher that gives you a drink. I think you need a preacher that preaches to the Mondays. Look again at Paul's words in verses 18 and 19. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as... uh, Yeah, try that one. 
I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I was told in college that when you can't pronounce a word very well, you just insert one that you can. So we would say round about as far as Paragould, you know, uh, Arkansas. But notice this, notice this passage again. Notice that Paul is a man who's not just concerned about what happens in a church building. Paul's not just concerned about what happens on Sundays. Paul is concerned about living out Christianity, living out the gospel. This wasn't just Sunday stuff. This was eternity stuff. Go back to what he wrote in verses 5 and 6. Now may the, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just Sunday stuff. This is eternal stuff. Paul wasn't just concerned with how churches operated on Sunday. In other words, the gospel cannot be confined to four walls and a Sunday. It goes beyond that. What happens here this morning and this evening should be a springboard for you to take with you into the rest of the week. It's easy to be a Christian on Sunday. It's easy to come and to sit and to worship. What's hard is to live it on Monday. What's hard is the gap in between the Sundays. I think you need a preacher that preaches to the Mondays. I believe that any sermon that any preacher gives must come around to application or else he hasn't really preached. What good is it for me to give you an informative sermon that's not transformative? What good is it for me to talk to you about the preterist view of Revelation versus, you know, one of the other views, and you sit there and you say, wow, that's great, or, you know, we dissect the Hebrew and the Greek, and we follow that word throughout Scripture, but at the end of the day, if I haven't answered the question, so what, then what does it matter? Preaching is not about giving out information. Preaching is about inciting transformation. And if a preacher hasn't helped you to understand and how to apply, then he hadn't really preached. This isn't an academic exercise. This is about helping people get to heaven. And if we're all in this thing together and we're all one team striving to get to the same destination, then preaching should be about transforming, not just informing. Every sermon should have the goal of assisting you and being more like Jesus. I know you know this. But what happens here on Sunday should mean even more on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of the week. What happens here on Sunday should set the tone for the rest of the week. Sundays are easy. They really are. What's difficult is the rest of the week. And I think you need a preacher that makes Monday more meaningful. And finally, I would say this. Any preacher worth his salt is going to preach to the back row. Now, that is not a knock against anyone who sits in the back. I don't care where you sit. I'm glad you're here. But when we talk about sitting on the back row or we talk about back row folks, a lot of times we're talking about those folks that are feeling us out. Um, maybe they're a little uncomfortable. They're coming in for the first time, and, and maybe they don't know the words to the songs that we sing, and, and perhaps they don't know where to find the passage in Scripture that we're, we're looking at, and maybe they're starting from ground zero. They really don't know much about 
Jesus Christ. They don't know much about God and his word. And so they're coming in and, and they're sitting in the back and they're, they're just feeling us out. And that's okay. That's certainly okay. Because what happens too often in the church is, is we, we give this impression that if you'll come in and get baptized, then we'll talk. You'll jump in the baptistry and then we can talk about some things. We shouldn't expect people to be at our level. What any preacher should be striving to do is to get the back row visitor to have front row enthusiasm. That's what any preacher worth his salt should be striving for. Preaching to everyone, not just the core, but everyone. We tend to do that. We tend to focus on the core. But every Sunday, especially here, we have people visiting with us that are feeling us out. And any preacher should be willing to seek those back row visitors out and try to help them have front row enthusiasm. Notice, notice verse 7 of Romans 15. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. You know, the Gentiles were the back row people of Paul's day. The Jewish Christians were the ones that felt like they had the upper hand. They would have considered themselves the front row Christians. And yes, Paul was trying to get the two groups together because united they were better off. The church was better off. They needed to be united in order to move forward and to spread the gospel. And you can, you can go to Romans chapter 14 sometime and look at his dealing with religious scruples and preferences and all that as he tried to unite these groups. But we must take people where they're at but not leave them there. We can't expect people to be up to our level right off the bat. We can't expect them to be at the core level right from the beginning. So we take them where they're at. We just don't leave them there. Back row individuals need to know that the preacher and the front row people value their soul and want what's best for them spiritually. That this is a place where you can come in with questions and doubts and we'll help you through them. A few years ago, I was asked to preach to some preacher training camp students. And my topic was building your best sermon. And so the assignment I had was to go and speak to these young men who were contemplating preaching and tell them about the best sermon I've ever preached and what went into that sermon. How did you build it? How did you compose it? And I think I disappointed the people that asked me to come and even some of the preaching students when I got up there and said, I don't know. I've never preached my best sermon. I don't have a best one. Not yet. I hope to someday. And so I can't tell you what goes into preaching your best sermon because I have never, ever walked away from the pulpit and said, oh, wow, I hit a home run there. Never done that. And I don't say that to claim any sort of false humility. I don't say that so that I can fish for a compliment, and after services, you'll come up to me, oh, you've hit a bunch of home runs. No, I, I just really don't feel like I ever have. I hope to someday, but I don't feel like I have. But here's the deal. In my 18 years in ministry, I've come to realize that you don't need a home run hitter. What I've come to realize in 18 years of ministry is this. There's value in just getting on base. You don't need a preacher that hits a home run every week. In fact, that's pretty impossible. And you know, the heavy hitters are the guys that strike out a lot too. In baseball, the guys that hit home runs are also the guys that lead the league in strikeouts a lot of times. I want to be a leadoff hitter. You know what a leadoff hitter does in baseball? 
You know what their job is? You know what their only job is? To get on base. I don't care if you get hit. I don't care if you get a hit. Just get on base, right? I think there's value in just getting on base. I think that was Paul's goal. I don't get the feeling that Paul was a heavy hitter. I get the feeling that Paul was just trying to get on base. I get the feeling that Paul was encouraging these Christians to just get on base. I think he was encouraging them to go from base to base because that's how life is really. You don't hit home runs all the time. I think Paul was saying, hey, play hard, don't quit. And I think that's the kind of preacher you need. A preacher that values getting on base. I don't think you need a home run hitter. I hope to be a base hitter. I hope to be a leadoff guy. I think there's value in that. And who knows? I mean, maybe every now and then I hit one over the fence, but I don't think that should be the goal. I want you to know I love you all, and I am so grateful to be your leadoff hitter. I'm so grateful to be your minister. And I thank you so much for taking such good care of me over the years. Luke's going to come up and lead an invitation song, and here's what I want to do. I want to answer my own invitation. So I'm doing that now. And I'd like to ask, uh, James, since you're close, would you come up here and lead a prayer for not just me, but for Blake and Jake and all of our staff, and uh, we need that. And I know you pray for us, and I thank you for that, but we want to be better. We want to keep raising the bar. And if you need the prayers and support of this church family, then you are welcome to step forward at this time. If you'd like to study the Bible and learn what it means to have a daily walk with God, then we want to help you with that as well. So, thank you. I love you. And if you have a need, come forward as we stand and as we sing.